Welcome to this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast. I'm Phil Kitramelides, joined on the line by Sid Lowe, who's in Seville, who last night witnessed Spain qualify for their 12th World Cup in a row. They did it in slightly nervy fashion, beating Sweden by 1-0 at the uh, Estadio de la Cartuja. Álvaro Morata scoring an 86th minute goal to send Spain to the World Cup. Hello, Sydney. Good morning, Philip. How was the atmosphere in the stadium and after the game as well, because it is quite an achievement. We take it for granted now, but there are a lot of big, big nations that have missed World Cups since the last time Spain didn't make it through uh, to the showpiece in 1974. The fact that they've done it again is a big achievement. Well, Spain have been at every World Cup, as you say, since 74. Only four countries have been at every World Cup since 74. And it's fair to say they are the biggest of big hitters. The other three, not including Spain, are Brazil, Argentina and Germany. So, you know, you've got a lot of really great countries that haven't been there. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. I mean, a lot of big countries haven't been there. Yeah, yeah. And I was going through the, the records the other day and there's been a few times when Spain have been on edge. There's been a few tournaments where they've had to go via the playoffs. Uh, there's been a few times where they've needed extraordinary results on the final day. Of course, the most famous one being that, was it 12-1 or was it 13-1? 12-1, 12-1. win. 12-1 win uh, before the 1980... Oof, which World Cup was it? Two. 86, was it? 82. 82, 82 yeah. World Cup, I think. Um, no, it can't be in 82 because they were hosts. But anyway, we're, yeah. we're rambling now. The point is, it, it was a big deal. It was, I think, an obligation for them to get there, although this has been part of the debate this year. Are you obliged to make it to the World Cup? Because, of course, you had, you had um, I think it was Unai Simon, or was it Mikel Marino saying that? I think it was Unai Simon, wasn't it, saying it's not, it's not an obligation. We're not obliged to be at the World Cup. No, it was Rodrigo Hernandez said, we're not obliged to be at the World Cup. And then, and then everyone said, yes, you are. Of course you are. <laughs> um, now, obviously, you, you are up to a point, but it doesn't mean that it, that it can't occasionally happen. They were in a position where it's very difficult. They were then put in a position which made it a little bit easier for them because the results in midweek meant that although this was a straight shootout between them and Sweden and the winner would go to the World Cup and the loser would go into the playoffs. And by the way, the chances are the loser would have gone to the playoffs and made it anyway. But it's a difficult playoff structure, so perhaps not. But it meant that Spain would have got through with a draw, which they didn't get. They got a win anyway. In terms of the atmosphere, there's always been this idea in Spain that when you need it, you go to Seville. When you need an atmosphere, when you need the fans behind you, you go to Seville. Now, that's there's all sorts of reasons for that. The, the, if you like the, the cliches about Seville being a place of passion and noise and excitement and all the rest of it. Obviously, the fact that this is uh, a city with no doubts at all about its national identity, none whatsoever. In fact, in a way, this is this is the home, if you like, of the kind of the Spanish cliche. You know, this is that which is which is not to denigrate it at all. It is the home, if you like, of those things that are seen as classically Spanish. Mm. Um, you know, of flamenco and of toros and all the rest of it. Um, and it is a place that responds. And yes, they responded fantastically. The noise was great. In what is, by the way, it's still worth saying this, despite a brilliant atmosphere last year, uh, last night, a really terrible place for football matches. Yeah, it's a rubbish a stadium. Really, a really not very good stadium at all. But a big stadium. And so a big stadium that ultimately <laughs> makes quite a lot of noise. And, and the, the whole city was crammed yesterday. So a lot of people had clearly come here from outside of Sevilla. Uh, from from the rest of Andalusia and the rest of Spain. Um, There were people everywhere. There was a real sense of pre-match excitement. Post-match, I'll be honest with you, by the time I left, no, not really, because it was late on a Sunday night. So I can't really tell you kind of what the post-match 
atmosphere was like because you know by the time I left th- th- there was there was no one out anymore, which is kind of disappointing in its own way, I suppose. Yes, but as you said, it was a it was a school night. There was a school and work the next day, so the celebrations yeah. might not have been uh, might not have been too raucous. Um, the goal scored by Alvaro Morata, who came off the substitutes bench to score that all important goal, yeah, in some ways fitting that he got the goal, mm. uh, be, given everything he's been through. Well, Luis Enrique thought so. Mm. Um, Luis Enrique said, "I'm really glad it was him that he kept." Luis Enrique did this three or four times last night. In what was a very, very long and very interesting press conference, actually. It was, it was really quite nice to have a manager in a press conference in a room with a lot of journalists and not be any hurry. Not being, not saying, you know, like, in five minutes we've got to go. Allowing journalists to ask more than once, that kind of thing. Um, and he re- returned to this theme three or four times, the idea of this closing a circle. Because qualification was kind of a cycle and now you re-prepare for the World Cup. And, and mm. But he, he took it beyond qualification because he kind of took in... Uh, the European Championships, which of course were played, at least the group games were, in this same stadium. Mm-hmm. And he described Alvaro Morata as having closed the circle. Because mm-hmm. of course there's an emotional component to this as well, because now most of our listeners will know this, but Alvaro Morata got got a lot of abuse during the summer. There was a lot of doubts about him. Every time you hear him talk, and again he spoke yesterday, and he, like Luis Enrique, was in the press conference room for maybe 25 minutes. And you see, even in a moment like this, the vulnerability of Murata, the way that he talks, the sense that he's been kind of set upon, the sense that it hasn't been easy. And I think there was a, a bit of a feeling of, of liberation. And, and Luis Enrique, at least, while Murata was trying to pull away from it, but never really managed to because he kept on admitting that, you know, things haven't been easy and, and so on. Uh, Luis Enrique said, I was very, very pleased it was him. I'm very pleased after everything that he's been through that, that we kind of have this ability to close the cycle with Alvaro because it all kind of started with him as well. Um, and as for Morata himself, he'd been asked lots and lots of questions and no one asked him about the actual goal. Um, and so I decided I was going to and I was sort of a bit embarrassed because it seemed like such a stupid question in a way. And I said to him, um, look, I'm going to ask you the most basic question of all. Like The ball drops to your feet. You're two yards out. The goalkeeper's on the floor. The goal is there. It's pretty much the last minute. It's you, it's you and the World Cup and nothing else now. And a stadium full of 50,000 fans all watching you. What goes through your mind? And he actually said, the first thing that went through my mind was to say, calm, calm down. down. Yeah. Because the last time the ball dropped me, I booted it over the bar. Which I thought was a great response, to be fair to him. Absolutely. Um, we're celebrating, kind of, Spain making it through to the... To the World Cup directly, but they might have been in the playoffs if Emil Forsberg had been able to finish because the Swedish yeah. Swedish player had a hat trick of really good chances. A couple of I, them really, really good. Yeah, I thought he was absolutely brilliant. By the way, because you're right, he probably should have scored. Yeah, um, at least once. But but he was the driving force between behind everything they did. Um, I don't think you look at the chances and think these are terrible misses, except for the one he swipes at and completely misses the ball. But mm. the first shot that Ben's past the post, I think, is a really good run that he creates himself. The volley at the far post misses misses the other post by what an inch, if that. Mm. Uh, and I and I thought I thought he was brilliant. But you're right. Of those three chances, you think he should take at least one of them. There's a really good chance for his sack as well after a bad ball from Mathbeliqueta gets cut out by I can't remember who yes. who drops it off to his sack by the penalty spot and he slices at it as he tries yeah. to take it on the turn and actually possibly even had time to control it and, and finish calmly and the better chances were made by Sweden one of the things that 
I mean, I'm, I was uneasy about this because I don't know enough about the Swedish national team. And we talked about this the other day when we were talking about Zlatan and we're not the Swedish, Swedish Spanish football podcast. But I was amazed last night. Swedish Spanish the, football podcast, no. Yeah, by, by the first change that Jani Andersson made when he took off Forsberg and Kulusevski. Mm-hmm. And they had been the thrust of everything that Sweden did. Mm-hmm. I, I just thought it was absolutely baffling. And, and I said this to... To actually, a couple of Swedish colleagues, including including one who lived in Barcelona when when Zlatan was there, so I know her very well. I said to her, "Look, look am I being stupid? What the hell was that?" And she said, "No, no, don't worry. We're all asking exactly the same question. Mm-hmm. So could not understand it." And Sweden certainly had the chances. And so, in the end, Spain were a lot more nervous than 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 I think we thought was going to happen. So, where does this leave Spain in terms of their their chances of doing something important at the World Cup? Given that. They were hanging on the mm. top spot in the group. There have been some unconvincing performances. There have been some very good performances as well yeah. in, the, in the Nations League and in, the, and in the Euros. But where do we think they are? Uh, that's a very good question to which I don't really have an answer because as we've discussed lots of times, Spain are the yeah but team, aren't they? Mm. They are the yeah we've got... Ah, uh, yeah. And so you look at what they've done. European Championship semi-final. And I would argue, now obviously you can debate this and certainly if you're an Italian fan you might that they were better than Italy in the semi-final and it was only penalties that stopped them reaching a final who knows if they'd have won the final maybe they would maybe they wouldn't that doesn't really matter but they were penalties away from the final of the Euros they got to the final of the Nations League and again I thought they were the better side against France but they didn't win it and you go to the Euros you think so you know this is a team that's been finalists and semi-finalists that's now got through to the World Cup from a not a horrible group but a relatively difficult one because I think Sweden are a good side and so you think there's definitely something there. And you see the quality of some of the performances, and I'm sure we'll come on to the individuals in a mm-hmm. minute who played well last night. Mm-hmm. And you see the quality of some of the players emerging. And, you know, obviously at the Euros, it was Pedri. You've got a whole load of injured players still to come back, in particular Ansu Fati. Uh, Marco Llorente at some stage may have a key role to play as well. Um, and you think, wow, this is a brilliant team. But then you start to unpack it a little bit. And yes, I've just used the word unpack. And you unpack it a bit and you sort of think, but they were very good in the group stage. Or at least they didn't beat teams that they probably should have beaten in the group stage. They, they had to win the final game, and then it's true they went and slaughtered Slovakia. right? Mm. But it was Slovakia, with the greatest respect, it was Slovakia. They needed extra time against Croatia, albeit they were the better side. And let's not forget, Croatia were World Cup finalists. They were then maybe a little bit fortunate against Switzerland and needed penalties. And so you have these all of these, yeah, buts. Mm. Yeah, they're good, but. And to be honest, I don't know the answer. What I do think is very good news for Spain apart from the quality of some of the players coming through, and I think there are doubts, by the way, about Spain at the two ends of the pitch. Mm-hmm. I think the overall performance is good, but the two ends of the pitch are not so good. I think what is good is that there's a very, very clear idea, and I think that gives them time now to, to work on that and, and possibly entrench it. Let me just read you a text message a mate of mine sent last night, which I think oh. is a really good way of putting Please it. Please do. And, and, and see what you think of this. He sent me a message, and, and he just said, how can Spain be the best team on the pitch... Stroke, don't look like scoring. Stroke, look like conceding all at the same time. <laughs> that is and it's true, more isn't or it? Less summed up in a nutshell. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's quite bizarre, but they, there is a clear idea. Luis Enrique was interesting on this last night because he talked a lot during this press conference about, you know, I have an idea, I want to do it this way, I'm absolutely clear on this. And, and actually, we've discussed this over the last couple of years and said, the idea might have been clear, but the personnel wasn't always. And sometimes mm. you wonder what the idea was because the personnel changed a lot from squad to squad. 
and 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 last night and I I asked him last night said but is it difficult to keep that idea up because you're going into a game where you said we have to win this mm. and yet a draw is enough the game goes on you get more and more nervous Sweden starts to take chances admittedly Sweden uh, sorry take chances make chances Sweden didn't really make many chances in the last 20 minutes but up until about 70 minutes they made a lot and at some point surely it's natural to go uh, sorry, Indian iTunes. No, let's not do it. Sod this and yeah. just start booting the ball away. Not taking any risk. Get rid of it. The nerves are there. Everyone's worried. Get rid of the bloody thing. Don't risk this. Put another defender on. Protect yourself. And he said, yes, it is difficult because the natural thing is to start getting rid of the ball. The natural thing is to start having the nerves. He said, but if we do that, we are not very good. The only thing that makes Spain stand out is the quality of the players we've got. And he said, and the players that I have called up so far and the players that I will continue to call up are players who are better than the other team with the ball. And if we don't have it, we're not better than the other team. And there was a clarity about that argument that, that was really quite convincing. Hmm. Okay, in terms of some of the individual performances, I think the standout performance oh. was the child. Yeah, Gabby. Just a mate, just a mate. I mean, there's a, there was a nice stat in the in the paper yesterday. Although, as you already know, because I sent it to you and kind of rolling my eyes at it, that when 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 Gavi was born, Zlatan Ibrahimovic had already played 28 times for Sweden. Now, the reason I say I was rolling my eyes is because the stat in the newspaper said it in the headline, and he'd already scored 10 times. And the stat in the same article said he'd already scored 19 times. And I don't know which one it is. It's like they come on these very very simple things which. You know, we get wrong from time to time. Hold on, did I call him Chavi? Did I call him Chavi? I don't know. I I heard Gavi, even if you called him Chavi. You might have done. I don't don't know. Um, And I am going to back away slightly from from part of the narrative about Gavi, which is focused on his age. And And the reason I'm going to do that is because I think a lot of time we look at a performance like this and we said this in particular the game against Italy. Remember after the Italy game in the Nations League? We kept saying, wow, this kid is 17 and look at him diving in on Verratti. Look at him taking on so-and-so. And And a lot of the focus was about personality and there's no doubt there's personality there. And in fact, at times, probably too much. He likes a yellow card, this boy. Mm. (laughs) He does like a yellow card. And... And I think one of the problems with doing that is I think that sometimes what you do with young players when you project onto them the fact that they are young is that you, you assume an exponential growth forever and ever. So you assume they're always going to get better. And also you're judging them on the fact that they're young rather than mm. purely on the quality of the performance itself, which mm-hmm. also, by the way, is very good. But I think you project even more because this is a 17-year-old kid. You think, oh, he shouldn't be able to do this. Or, oh, he's going to get even better. Well, maybe no. Maybe this is just his level. And it's going to be his level, and by the way, it's a very good level. The reason why I want to pull away from that is, as I say, because I think that sometimes becomes more about our interpretation than about specifically the thing on the pitch. Last night, even if he'd been 35 mm. and he'd been Leo Messi, that was still a brilliant performance. Yes. You know, that, that, even, even within the context of a different player who is already, to use a Spanish phrase, uh, uh, consecrated as a, as, a, as a footballer, that would still have been a really good performance. You know that were and the, the the couple of times that little run in the first half where he twice went from left foot to right foot and back again through a little sort of snaked his way through a little gap which wasn't really there. There were times when he held the ball really really well and invited pressure onto him and gave it and that reminded me some of someone uh, and it reminded me of Iniesta not because of the way that he plays but because that specific thing of holding the ball to invite pressure. And I remember talking to Juan Malio once about this and, and Juan Malio of course is now the assistant coach at. 
uh, at Man City and has always been very close to Guardiola. And I remember him saying to me that people talk about the myth of one-touch passing. So as you watch Iniesta, he almost, he almost never plays it first time unless, he, unless it's the right pass. Hmm. So what he does is he holds the ball because what he's implicitly doing, even though he, he would never say this, is he implicitly knows he's better than the players around him. And he's better than the opponents. So he holds the ball to invite pressure onto him. Why? Because if you can bring two opponents to you and then pass the ball, you've taken those two opponents out of the game. Mm-hmm. And you've willingly taken the risk on behalf of your teammates, effectively. Cool, and so Gavi's moments... the new Iniesta. Decent. That's not bad. Yeah, yeah. I th- as I say, that's why I didn't want to say that, because I, we risked doing this. But, but I was struck by that a couple of times last night, that Gavi was prepared to say, come on then, come on then, come and have it. Come and have it. And to, to kind of commit opponents or to attract opponents. Uh, and obviously there's a slight difference between committing and attracting, but broadly it's the same concept. And you bring them in and then you drop the ball off to someone else who, by definition, because you've drawn these players to you, now has space. And I, I thought Gavi was... Well, I just thought he was brilliant last night. Yeah, it was uh, objectively a sensational performance, even if he is uh, 17 or 37 or whoever he plays for as well, his club football, it was just very, very good as well. How important do you think Danny Olmo is as a player for Spain's attack? Do you know what I think about Danny Olmo? Yeah. Well, no, I don't. In a t- uh, okay, yeah. Well, I mean, it's a very stupid thing to say and it's a very simple thing to say, and in particular if you look at last night's goal, but it's not just about last night's goal. Danny Olmo, in a team that won't bloody shoot, shoots. <laughs> it is simple, but it's also an effective analysis, it, I think. It yep, genuinely yep, yep. makes a difference. You look back at the Euros... And that willingness to come inside and shoot from 22, 23, yeah. 24 yards... Not score, makes, but shoot. Not, not always score, but shoot. But not it makes a difference score, because yeah. even, even if you don't score, it makes yeah. a difference. Why? Because it forces the defenders out to you because they're worried about you shooting. Because maybe like last night, it creates a save. And it was, by the way, it was a brilliant save before it hit the bar. I hadn't realised that first time yeah. round. And the ball drops at Morata's feet and they go, oh, bloody hell, here we are then. Yeah. Um, and I think, that makes, I think that makes a difference. I really do think that makes a difference. Also, I think... One of the things that was interesting last night, I thought, was that when you play someone like Olmo who comes inside and shoots, obviously, by definition, you open an outside avenue for the fullback, mm. which Alba does very well. On the other side, Spain didn't really do that. Azpilicueta was coming up a more an inside avenue. Mm. So, so, in other words, you had slightly asymmetric forwards. Mm. So the right would go outside more often than not. The left would come inside more often than not. Although they did swap wings a couple of times as well. So it wasn't always Sarabia one yeah. side, uh, Olmo the other. Sometimes they, they swapped. Um, but I think Olmo is a, is a curious player because I watch him. And I'll be honest with you, there are times when I think, I'm not sure if he's that great. But okay. he makes things happen in a, way that I think, in, a, in a way that I think others don't, to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah, which is, which is why I started asking the question, how important yeah. is he for the Spain attack? Because he feels yeah. like he's become a very yeah. important player. For, Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, I think if you just did a list of who are Spain's best attackers... I'm not sure I'd put him in there. Yes. But if you if you say, how does this work best? Yes. I think Luis Enrique has been proven right. Yes, you put him in there. Uh, listen, there's, there's, there's lots that we could continue to talk about in the Spain national team. And, and if you'd like us to discuss a certain topic, send us a question and we will answer it on tomorrow's Q&A pod for patrons. Yes, patrons over at patreon.com forward slash TSFP. Get a Q&A pod every single Tuesday, a bonus pod as well. And... 
messy moments tsfp presents our latest historical series we're looking back at the glorious moments of Lionel messi's career uh, in spain uh, the latest episode is out as well so come and join us at patreon.com forward slash tsfp it's just over four euros a month i think it's relatively good value uh, we'll move on from spain and discuss some other topics We'll move on from the Spanish national team, I should say, and discuss some other yeah. topics uh, which are still related to football in, in Spain. Not least, Sydney, Danny Alves. <laughs> Back at yeah. Barca, age 38, with Xavi as manager. It's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting uh, situation we've got there. It actually happened, didn't it? I mean, I think, I think somewhere along the line, it didn't, it, you weren't sure this was real. And I think, well, if you're a free agent, Danny, come to Real Oviedo, um, which, which possibly... You possibly... did, to, to be fair, you did try to get that going. You kept I mentioning tried. it. I fa- on here, I failed on mi- social media, you failed miserably, I, but you gave it I failed going. miserably, yeah. Um, now, look, the very fact that we are here kind of sort of laughing at this and smiling at this and sort of excited about this, I think actually tells you a lot more than, than it normally would. I cannot in all honesty, tell you how good Danny Alves is anymore. I, I just don't know that. It's not that long ago that he won the Olympics with Brazil. Uh, playing every single minute of every game. Every minute. Um, obviously, it's the Olympics. It's not the World Cup. Um, it's not that long ago that he was regular with the, with the main Brazilian team. And, and who knows, he could end up being so again. Um, and, and I honestly don't know his level. And of course, logic suggests... This guy who is... Is he 38 or 39? 38, 38. I think. Yeah. 38. This guy was 38 probably shouldn't be going to Barcelona. That's what logic suggests. But the reason why I say I think it's significant that we're, you know, we're kind of smiling about this and we're excited about this is that I think others are smiling and excited and I think that includes Barcelona. And I think one thing I can tell you about Dani Alves, um, beyond my slightly bizarre obsession with him, as there is with Barry Aspas and Santi Cazola and one or two others, yes, is that Dani Alves, despite his kind of, sort of jokey exterior, despite his, uh, the, 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 sometimes the sense that he's frivolous, is absolutely not a frivolous footballer. He is incredibly serious, uh, ultra competitive, uh, a kind of a, a supreme, uh, a supreme, yeah, competitor. I, I'm, I was trying to think of a better word, but yeah, I think it is competitor. And I think that that personality is something that will be useful to Barcelona. I think, to be honest, if he is the best right-back they have available, then it's a pretty sad comment on the structure of their squad at his age. But, A, it may well be true, in which case, in footballing terms, that's great. B, as I say, it may not be about that. It may be about changing habits within the dressing room. And obviously, if anyone knows what Alves is like, it's, it's Xavi Hernandez. And so I think that what we're looking at is almost someone coming to add squad numbers who's very cheap, who doesn't necessarily need to play every game, who I think will help to change the culture. Now, what we've talked about a lot in recent weeks is of the way in which the whole idea of realism is lucky, eh? This is the team it is. These are the players it is. Expressed in particular by the manager himself, Ronald Koeman, became fatalism and an excuse for failure. And an excuse for, not necessarily at a conscious level, but at some level kind of an excuse for, well, you know... And now you've got someone who says, Xavi's doing this, and now Danny Alves is doing this, says, no, 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 there isn't an excuse. 
we go and compete and we go and do everything and we go and do all the things we need to do and we change the mentality and, and to use the old cliche let's turn that frown upside down you know that brings <laughs> a sense of enthusiasm and joy and all of those kind of things but with it an iron edge because Danny Alves has that to the dressing room now look is this the solution to all of Barcelona's problems no of course it bloody isn't but I don't think it does them any harm hmm. and, and in that sense I think this is potentially a very good signing I don't think he'll play very much at least maybe I'm wrong maybe he'll turn out to be absolutely brilliant you know for Sao Paulo he's been playing as a midfielder yeah, and it, well, that's the other thing. Bear in mind, in recent weeks, because there hasn't been that wide forward, Barcelona have played with Sergio Dest at wide forward. Hmm. So maybe Dani Alves takes that role. Maybe that means that Dani Alves doesn't have to have the coverage of the whole line because this is an, an, an elderly player now in footballing terms. Um, because the technique will still be there. The, the intelligence with which he moves will still be there. Um, and, you know, you, you look at this squad and you say, who have been the right backs this season? Dest, who has ended up playing on the top of the pitch. Sergio Roberto, who I'm reluctant to say this, but still isn't a right back, or he still doesn't think he's a right back. I actually think right back is possibly his best position, but he doesn't defend particularly well rather than midfield. But he doesn't, he's not really a right back. Mingetha, who's absolutely not a right back, there's not, not, there's not a huge amount wrong with Mingetha, but he's not really a right back. And so you go, well, actually, given the paucity of options, you know, even in purely footballing terms. And so, yeah, there's a bit of me that thinks, if nothing else, just to bring a little bit of a changing culture. And I think a lot of what Xavi has identified at Barcelona is the need to change culture. Then Dani Alves makes sense. Uh, I feel obliged to, to do this, and I don't usually do this, but one of our Brazilian patrons pointed out and said, for the love of God, please tell Sid it's Dani Alves, not Alves. So there we go. The stress is on the phone. You've been saying Dani Alves, Alves, and it's Alves. Dani Alves? Yeah, not Alves. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Have I been saying it with an accent on the E? Yes. Not a very pronounced one. I mean, it's Alves. Danny Alves. Danny. Danny. Anyway. There we go. <laughs> and it's not, by the way, my, my spell checker on my computer needs to know it's not Danny Alves either. Yeah. <laughs> every time I try and write it on my phone or my computer, Danny Alves. No, it's not Danny Alves. Although yeah. if he was Alves, he could go to and join an athletic club. What about Ronaldo Koeman? I had that quite a lot as well. Yeah, that happens to me all the time. And I don't think I've ever knowingly spelt Griezmann correctly the first time <laughs> there we go um, before we go we should actually mention this um, absolutely outrageous story which, uh, which happened uh, yesterday the uh, players union AFE say they'll take, they'll take legal action against Rayo Vallecano whose women's team have no medical services with them during games. The team themselves had already complained about this and many other aspects of their treatment by the club. This weekend, their player Camila Saez uh, suffered a head injury and had to be assisted by teammates and the doctor from opponents' athletic club before being taken to hospital. This story is getting quite a lot of traction in Spain. As we said, the Players' Union, AFE, are getting involved as well. It is highlighting how disastrously the club is being managed, despite the men's team going well in the Primera División. There are all sorts of problems with the women's team, and the women's team are historically a very strong uh, women's team in, in, in Spanish football. They are being run abysmally, and this is just outrageous. This is just not on. Yeah. Uh, and as you say, I mean, it's difficult to even know where to start with, with Rayo Vallecano um, because so much of what they do at structural institutional level is just dreadful, like really dreadful. And, and as you say, the sad thing in this is that, is that this is historically a really big club in terms of women's football. Now, yes. at the risk of putting people's backs up, 
there has been um, a move into women's football by lots of clubs over the last seven, eight, nine years um, to, for, for the right reasons, obviously, in, in many ways, but also I think sometimes at times to kind of hang medals on themselves, to use that Spanish phrase. Mm-hmm. Look, we've got a great women's team. This is a club that genuinely did it for years, that did it when, when, when no one else was doing it, that genuinely helped to ferment um, women's football and push it and, and build a proper club and build a youth system and, and, and bring girls through um, from, from youth level all the way to the, to the first team that brought in big name players. Remember, for example, um, Mileni, Mileni Dominguez played for Ivar kind of when she was sort of recognised as being one of the best players in the world. You know, this is a club that really pushed this at a time when others didn't and that really had an important role to play in this. And it just... Yeah, it's just awful, really. But as I say, as we, we, we briefly mentioned this, I don't know if it was a couple of weeks ago, this is part of a, if you like, a kind of a club-wide um, dysfunction, not mm. just at women's football level, but, it, but it's, it's particularly acute at women's football level. And it's, yeah, it's, it's dreadful. It really is. Uh, hopefully this aspect will get resolved because other people are getting involved now. Well, this is the most basic thing in the world, isn't it? Having medical staff you on board. Not, I mean, you can't not have medical staff. I mean, staff I, I mean the terrible thing, of course, is they got away with it, um, as your, your brief yeah. retelling of, of events uh, shows. They got away with it. Why? Because the teams they're playing against are professional enough to have medical staff. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, you no. cannot really, you know, oh, it'll be all right. Athletic Club have got doctors. No, yeah. it's just unacceptable. Yes. Um, really terrible. Um so yeah, there we go. That's uh, Rayo Femenino. Uh, we had Segunda División football this weekend. Uh, Leaders no, we Almeria... didn't. No, we didn't. No, there was Sorry, no second we, division. We, we, we did, I'm afraid. Uh, Leaders Almeria are still six points clear. They won 1-0 at Ibiza. Uh, Eibar are second. They beat Alcorcón 2-1. Valladolid kept their good run going. They're in third. They beat Fuenla 3-0. Saragossa, who were in the relegation zone and drew a record nine games in a row, have now won their last three. They won 3-2 at Las Palmas. And Sydney, I'm sorry, Oviedo drew 0-0 at Leganes as you well know because you were watching it on your iPad in the stadium before the Spain game um, don't miss our latest episode of TSFP presents Messi moments from last week we discussed Messi's infamous Bureaufax attempt to leave Barca in August 2020 patrons get two new episodes of TSFP presents a month plus this week we'll have the Q&A pod and the bonus pod as always looking ahead uh, to the next round of fixtures in La Liga Sydney go and get your train We'll speak tomorrow on the Q&A pod. We'd love for you guys to join us over at patreon.com forward slash TSFP. If you don't, don't worry. We'll be back here next Monday, as always. Adios. Cheerio.